Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today, joining us is our guest, Adam Jackson, founder and CEO of Freelance Labs, the development company behind Brain Trust Network. And we're going to be diving into, I mean, we did this conversation literally here three or four months ago, but the audio got corrupted. And that's just not an excuse, you know. Sometimes we use it as an excuse. Did my, was my speaking on it the corrupting factor? Or? <laughs> no, it was actually a fantastic show, and we were very disappointed uh, that it was lost into the ether. But this one's going to be even better. I think this one's going to be even better because we've had time to sort of dissect uh, everything that's happened over the past, you know, let's call it, you know, a quarter. We've both got we've both gotten much more tan mm. since then. Uh, you especially. Mine's just high blood pressure. It might be. It might be. Mine as well. <laughs> um, but before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Let's just, you know, for the listeners who may not be familiar with your your long career, you've had a number of exits, you're not only a, a founder in this space, but you're a venture investor. Maybe just give them a lay of the land, and then we can kind of go back into some of those topics that we talked about, uh, let's call it, it was right in the thick of it, it was like November, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, or just a real quick background on myself. I'm a, I study computer science at Vanderbilt. I'm kind of a, kind of a lousy engineer turned entrepreneur, moved to San Francisco out, out of school, and uh, Braintrust is actually my, my fourth venture-backed marketplace. Um, the first one was in uh, e-commerce. It was a company we, we uh, helped uh, local stores get foot traffic on the, by using the internet. That was a novel concept in 2004 and five. That was acquired by Intuit. Second one was an uh, online marketplace that helped mechanics get more customers on the internet. That was acquired by Advanced Auto Parts. Third one's called Doctor on Demand, which is now the, the country's largest video telemedicine service. Mix, uh, uh, merged with another healthcare company, will hopefully go public someday when companies go public again. Hmm. And then I started working on, on uh, Brain Trust kind of full-time in 2018, 2019. And uh, Brain Trust is a decentralized talent network that connects knowledge workers with clients that need them. Uh, I'm also an active investor in the space, co-founded a crypto hedge fund called Cambrian mm -hmm. uh, back in 2018, which we actually Brain Trust spun out of. Uh, I'm an LP in a bunch of funds, crypto and non-crypto, do a lot of direct investing, uh, so I kind of sit on, on, on all sides of the table. Mm -hmm. Which offers a unique perspective. Um, again, just real quick. So 
Brain Trust, what was the idea? How did it spin out of Cambrian? That's a sort of, you know, very data-driven hedge fund, um, not necessarily like going long, short, different tokens. And out of that, you, you came up with this idea for a token-based talent network? How yeah. did that happen? It, it's a bit of a, a long and bumpy road, but I'll give you like the short and hopefully more interesting version. So I spent my whole career building Web2 internet marketplaces, right? And the job of a corporate marketplace is to bring buyer and seller together, create a safe place to transact, manage reputation and payments, right? Like eBay was kind of the first one of these. Mm -hmm. And then extract as much value out of that puppy as you can. And every quarter, take more, take more, take more, right? And that's why you, know, that's why you raise a bunch of venture money to kind of subsidize the marketplace, right? Like get buyers and sellers together, get liquidity. And if you're lucky enough to kind of suck the oxygen out and kill your competitors, you pop out the other end 10 years later, a public company, who, you know, probably running at negative gross margins and now you gotta turn the spigot on, right? You gotta start taking fees and and taking more, you know, of the yeah, value. More right? value out of them. And and so like I realized as someone who did this for a living for almost twenty years, like the dirty little secret there is if you're too good at it, eventually you're gonna piss off one or both sides of your marketplace, the supply and or the demand, and you're gonna leave room for disintermediation, disruption, right? And it's like Classic examples are like, you know, eBay sellers trying to get around eBay or, you know, restaurants on DoorDash taping signs to their window, please don't use DoorDash, just call us directly, right? Yeah. And so, so the, more, the more value you're extracting out of, uh, as a corporate network operator, you know, the more vulnerable you become to disruption and like the, the margins just erode, right? And so, so when I came across tokens, right, I was early in Ethereum, became obsessed with smart contracts and tokens in like 2017, that kind of area. I was like, man, tokens could be a great way to create user-owned networks. This is what eventually became you know, called Web3 networks, but networks that are owned and controlled by their participants instead of a corporation in the middle. And, and so the, the network, it's just like how you know, Ethereum is kind of controlled by Ether token holders and, and the operators of the nodes, right? And, and so there's no like, there's no Ethereum Inc. that needs profit margin and needs increased take rates every quarter, right? Like the incentives are all aligned, everyone does their job and, and Ethereum is this global compute system that is totally market driven. So I, th I actually wrote a paper in 2018 called The User-Owned Economy. It basically mm -hmm. contemplated user-owned networks growing faster and being more valuable than corporate-owned networks on the internet. And so it, it was an investment thesis in 2018 and then my partners and I went out to raise money for this uh, for this thesis, and then you know deploy it into people doing and people building under this thesis. Well, there, we ran into two problems. One, the LPs didn't give a shit; they wanted nothing to do with this. Mm. That was a bad idea. Two, there were no real projects to deploy this capital into, so no funding sources, no targets, <laughs> and so it was hitting like, brick wall after brick wall. Yeah, I was boxed in by brick walls. And so, look, I, I still thought it was a good idea. And, um, and so my, my partners and I we were like, hey, look, I'm just gonna go build something that proves this can work and that, it is, that a user-owned network is better than a corporate-owned network for its participants. And so we spun this idea out of Cambrian. Cambrian put this, the first seed check into Brain Trust. I stepped away as a general partner and you know, the last four years I've been doing just Brain Trust. Mm. And so you guys saw a record supply of 23,000 active talent on the network in Q3, up 45% quarter over quarter and over 26,000 job applications, 
up 75% quarter over quarter. What do those numbers look like? You know, Q4, Q1, have you seen a slowdown given? So on the talent side, it's just gone vertical. So we were at, I think, I'm gonna be directly correct, not exactly correct, you know, closing out Q3, I think we had 70 to 80,000 talent members registered on the platform. Today, March 1st, we're about to cross a quarter million. So it's you know almost a you know, three or four X increase. On the client side, we're still adding new clients. So we serve you know, there's about 2,500 clients, 150 of which are big enterprises, like Fortune 1000 types. Um, we're still adding clients, but the clients we do have, as they're laying folks off, the full-timers, they're rotating to contractors, and that's we're seeing a lot of growth on clients using Braintrust for that. And how does, like, the, because this is just kind of a, a micro example of this thesis you came to, which is a decentralized network is a stronger business model or a stronger way of bootstrapping a company than the traditional mechanism of starting a company. Why a talent org and not, you know, the crypto DoorDash or the crypto Uber? Yeah. And then maybe how does it then penetrate to those areas? Yeah. Honestly, I was very passionate about what I call last mile businesses. So people that deliver either other people, packages, or food, right? So, you know, the, everyone who's in the car. And I think there's a huge opportunity to tokenize that last mile network. The, the issue is it, it's just very complex, right? And if you're gonna, because logistically, and then if you're gonna use a token as an incentive and governance mechanism as we do at Braintrust, mm -hmm. it's actually much easier to explain that token to IT folks, you know, computer programmers and designers and product managers than it is you know, folks who, you know, deliver things, right? Because tokens are just still so new. And so while I really wanted to start with Last Mile, I was like, look, I have much better odds of being successful and growing quickly if we start with knowledge workers, just because of the nature of the beast. So that's where we started. Um, IT outsourcing is a $1.5 trillion a year global market too. So it's not small, right? It's not as big as food, but... Uh, and so but how does a token improve it? So the token is, so like to, to back up a sec, on Braintrust, you know, we'll connect a client like Goldman Sachs or Nestle or Nike or Bank of America or Google or Airbnb. Those are all clients that use Braintrust to, to get talent, usually on a contract basis or full-time. Mm. And it's developers, designers, product managers, whatever. They, all those jobs are done, they're paid in dollars, right? So Goldman pays dollars, the, the talent receives dollars. We, we, and we use Stripe and TransferWise and a bunch of other you know, payment partners to process those payments. We maintain reputation, trust, safety, all that stuff, vetting the talent. Where the token comes in, the token is an, in, the brain trust token is an incentive mechanism and a governance system. So you earn the token by referring your friends. So let's say you know a bunch of great developers in New York City that don't know anything about, they don't know about Braintrust yet, they sign up to Braintrust with your unique code. As soon as they start doing jobs on Braintrust, you start getting a constant stream of tokens every time an invoice gets paid. So that's your reward for referring them. It's like a global referral engine kind of on steroids, right? Like anybody can use it and it pays out this token, which can be kept or it can be sold on Coinbase, whatever. And so what that does is because the token didn't cost us anything to mint, it, it makes our cost of acquisition, CAC, really low, right? And it's, it's made the, and we don't have like 
a hundred salespeople, right? We have like three or four, and a lot of the work, most the majority of the referrals from both you know the brought clients in and talent in, are because of this token incentive system. Mm. So it's kind of the secret sauce that has allowed us to grow, you know, six million in our first partial year of 2020. This is revenue GSV. Um, 30 million in 2021, uh, 86 million in 2022, and then you know we'll probably come close to doubling that again in 23. Now there's this more daunting regulatory element uh, spearheaded by one chair, Gensler. Does that concern you? I mean, if he's saying that 99.999999% of these things are securities, what does that mean? Like, how does a project react to that sort yeah. of sentiment? Well, Braintrust in particular, you know, we, we started from the beginning working closely with Fenwick and their, their team and, and making sure this thing was designed. I mean, it, it's not a security because it doesn't return profits. It's a, it's, it's, it just doesn't have the attributes of a security. It fails the Howey test, and it has a bunch of different uses. It kind of greases our ecosystem. Yet you can earn tokens to now get into mentorship cohorts and get career advice. This is a new professional network that, that we're rolling out slowly. It's in private beta right now. So the idea is you earn tokens by referring your friends. You use those tokens to get career advice so you can get more money and get a better job on brain trust, right? The token spins the flywheel of the network faster. It's not a, it doesn't return a dividend. It doesn't like, it's not a profit return mechanism. It doesn't have the attributes of a security. So we feel reasonably confident that, that we're not a security. There are, are other tokens that I think our securities kind of shoehorned into tokens, and I think that's where the SEC is coming from. Now, if, if, if the SEC says all tokens are securities no matter what, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's problematic. As a, you know, taking your, um, taking your brain trust hat off for a second and your more like crypto market participant hat on, what do you make, you know? We've had months and months and months to digest the actions of one Sam Bankman-Fried and an FTX. And then, of course, you have Chair Gensler kind of, I got in trouble with some policy wonks on Twitter for saying that he's started a war against the crypto market. The other side of the table might say that they're, he's just doing, he's just holding people accountable. Um, but there's certainly a bit of tension how do you think it'll shake out? Yeah, well, he is doing his job, um, but he's doing other things too, right? I think I think he's he and this you know the, this turf war we're seeing play out between agencies, the CFTC and DOJ and IRS, and they're they're all kind of fighting over like who can hurt this industry and chase it offshore faster. And I think that's very un-American. I, I think it's it's counterproductive. Look, we need good regulation. We need good enforcement. We don't need regulation through enforcement. I think that that muddies the waters. I think Hester Purse has been, you know, a voice of reason here. The safe harbor proposal, where projects can get two years to kind of figure it out before the government comes for them. Like I think the, the ideas like that are good. But Gensler said many times, like every token I've ever seen, except Bitcoin, is a security. Right? And it's it's just not true, right? It's just like I mean, many of them are, but. You know, so like it's just very counterproductive to lay out these blanket rules, step in front of Congress, and then just move through enforcement, right? And why, and, but more importantly, like, why would we want to chase this industry offshore? Like, that's how, that's why Bankman Fried ends up in Nassau 
committing monster crimes. Like, why wouldn't you want to create a, a common sense framework in New York or in the United States and California where entrepreneurs can thrive? Like, don't we want the next Vitalik, the next Sergey, the next Anatoly to like start it here instead of having to like play the stupid game offshore? Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, just, it's so counterproductive. Do you think it, it um, sets back other companies from implementing token models? Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing that, right? We're seeing what, what's the latest this week is like PayPal's walking away from their stablecoin project. Um, yeah, it, it, it has a huge chilling effect on the space to where we, we won't end up getting some of the benefits of this technology. And there are some, right? Like, I mean, it's not just for scammers. There are some legitimate uses for this tech. Like what? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I mean, look, I think, you know, cheaper global remittance um, on on chain, all the DeFi stuff, right, is, is incredibly valuable. Like in the in this credit collapse, where all these opaque, poorly risk managed companies like Celsius and Voyager and Alameda and apparently DCG and you know they all went down, right, because there was no risk management, there was no one looking at the books, but like the compound lenders got paid. Mm. You know, the Uniswap LPs were fine. The Ave lenders, were, like everyone who was lending on chain and collateralized, they were fine. They all got paid back, right? The on-chain stuff works, right? So like, we, we should do more of that. Like, that's a good use case. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting-edge zero-knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. So going back to just like, how, how have industry layoffs affected brain trust? Like, what does that look like? I'll tell you, so it, it, we've had a, just a massive inflow of talent. So, so like zooming out, 18 months ago, we were at the peak of the cycle where to, there were Every, there was the war for talent. Every you know, companies couldn't hire. People were making crazy salaries. We are we are now 18 months later. We are now at the trough, right? And so, that's why the talent base on Brain Trust has gone up by almost 4x in that time. Yeah. Or five, I guess since that time, 5x. And um, and clients still need the talent, right? So th they're they're kind of rotating from from full time into, you know contract, which is a typical thing. They like brain trust better because they're not they're paying a 10% fee instead of paying a consulting firm a 50% markup, right? That's the power of a user-owned network is you smash out the middleman and give that value back to both sides. 
because brain trust, the, the network doesn't need to turn a profit. It's just a network that connects you know, talent with clients. And so um, we've, we've seen a total influx of, of really good people who were like r expensive recruiters were paid good money to bring in and now are, are being laid off you know, in Silicon Valley. So mm. um, a lot of them are finding a home on brain trust. Okay, so let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say this thing works, which based on the numbers, it sounds like. It's working so far, yeah. It's working so far. And it's community owned. Um, so the phrase you use referring to sort of like the Uber Eats and the, and the lifts of the world, how, what was the phrase you used? Last mile. The last mile. So how do we go from a brain trust to the last mile? And what does it mean for venture investors, venture capitalists, right? Like if the, if the companies and the unicorns of 2030, 2045 are just these user-owned networks, how do you sort of capitalize on the, on the upside of those? Yeah. I mean, look, these net networks still need bootstrapping. They still need capital to get off the ground. They just need far less, right? So, But they don't necessarily need to show, like, hockey stick growth metrics or, like, what does that relationship look like? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, on the token economy, right? Like, you know, if, if uh, I'll come back to that, but, like, Braintrust raised about 125 million from a, a bunch of different VCs. You know, crypto VCs, traditional VCs, homebrew, um, True Ventures, Blockchain, uh, Galaxy, Multicoin, Pantera. You know, good good mix. And we we use that capital to subsidize network growth, right? To to but but like to get to the scale we're at. You know, without the token was a big part of our growth, and so without the token, it would have cost us hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in raise. Mm. And so there's still there's still a place for VCs. It's just you just don't. It's not as capital intensive as it used to be. So what is the role? Still, just kind of capital just and getting, advice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like a lot of our, you know, like like Scott Stanford from Acme Ventures. You know, he brought in all of our banking clients. Right, like. V VCs can't just be a check because because money is still pretty easy to raise. Like you, you need someone who who adds value. You know, true va true ventures, masters of community, right? Taught us so much about how to build and grow a community. So we, we were we were really like deliberate on who we brought in. One question we've been asking ourselves here on the show is, to what extent did VCs contribute or add fuel to the proverbial fire that was Sam Bankman-Fried? I I think they were the primary source of fuel, right? I mean, if I were a Paradigm LP, I'd be pissed. If I were a Sequoia <laughs> LP, I'd be pissed as hell. What? They didn't do any fucking diligence, Why obviously. I, I, look, I think everyone was caught up in just the competitive momentum of the time. Um, there, were, there, were, there were clear headed VCs out there just not doing deals in you know, the last half of 2021. Because they couldn't have time, you know, they didn't have time to do the diligence. If you don't have time to do the diligence, like, don't write the check. But they must have. Come on. Like, so you're you're saying Sequoia and Paradigm knew that Alameda was blowing a hole in their balance sheet? No, I'm saying that they must have like looked at the data room. They, I, I don't I, think there I, was one. I, 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 I highly I'd doubt there was one. I'd be curious to know, like, so then what didn't they do? You know, the, ask to see, like, just go a layer deep on that exchange and see like this hole that Alameda had drilled into FTX. Like if anyone was looking, that should have been apparent. So you reckon like, what did that, like, what did that process look like? They got on the phone with him. 
I think they were the, defrauded. Like, let's be very clear, right? Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, this guy, Singh, just pled here in New York, right? Yeah. He, His $3.5 million castle. Right. But he pl- what did he plead to? He pled to falsifying financial statements. Yeah. Right? Serious crime. So I don't, so I don't, I don't think, like, you know, Paradigm and Sequoia are stupid, right? I, I think they were defrauded. But, like, it's for a hole that big to go unnoticed. It's like, still, it's, it's it's still tough. a bit egregious. It's tough. So what is the lesson for VCs coming out of this? This, is, this isn't a new story, but... Yeah, well, I, I think the lesson for the whole market, VCs included, is no more sketchy, offshore, off-chain businesses in this space. The whole business model's dead. I don't care if you're a, like an upstanding guy like Barry Silbert running a good shop like DCG, happen to have you know something go wrong in Genesis and... Um, that takes down Gemini and you know and Celsius. Like those guys aren't criminals, right? It was just poor risk management. But but like nothing hit on chain. Nothing was audited. No, you know it was it was just like not good risk management. All the way to like the fraud monster from Nassau, right? Who's just who should be in prison for hundreds of years for the crimes he committed. Like the whole business model of off chain offshore is dead. It's not. It doesn't matter what the regulators say now because it'll that shit will never get funded again. I mean, this is something that for me, I, th- I think I've talked about on the show. I remember when I went there to Crypto Bahamas, I was a bit, he does have a Corolla. He did have a Corolla. But then again, like, <laughs> to be fair of my own naivety, I didn't know how much Bahamian property was worth. So I figured, like, you know, maybe this condo's worth, like, I don't know, a million bucks. Like, that's not that crazy if you're living with, like, 15 people in your polycule like (laughs) and you're splitting it up that's not that that's not that bad yeah Um, i I was down there too they did a great job with that conference yeah it was a good conference we we had fun i mean but i should have known i swear i should have known when i walked accidentally into a bar and and ran into it was sbf katie perry tom brady somebody else all having a drink yeah barack obama was there (laughs) i'm like oh shit i should sell everything right now (laughs) So just, you know, to close it out, like, tokens, how much does the value matter? Well, it, it depends on the network, right? I mean, it, like, if a token is used for something in a network, and it's, it, like, brain trust, the cash value of the token actually doesn't matter. Because I, uh, just, just, to, just to put a finer point out for yeah. the listener, like, I use Amazon all the time. It doesn't matter if Amazon stock's trading really low today, I'm still gonna go buy whatever it is, I don't know, uh, Ottoman. But with, with any token network, like if the token price is down, it sort of derails those incentives. How do you, like, how do you? Uh, it, it actually doesn't in, in brain trust network. Now, not, it's not to say like it doesn't like cause sentiment to move one way or the other, right? Pri- yeah, fair pri- enough. Price and sentiment you know, often move together. But in, in brain trust model, the one of the uses for the token is clients need to pay the network fee. It's 10% fee, it, needs, it goes to buy the token. So if let's say Goldman just paid an invoice for 100 grand, there's a $10,000 network fee invoice associated with that. That 10 grand gets sent to a smart contract which buys brain trust tokens out of the open market. Doesn't matter if those tokens are a dollar or $10 10 cents. It just doesn't matter. It just buys a, it buys 10 grand worth of tokens and sends them to the Dow, mm. takes them out of circulation. With our new professional network, you know, you can get like somebody to help get on the phone and help you negotiate an offer letter to get to get you a better job. 
um, that's going to be, you know, $100 worth of tokens, right? So it doesn't matter what the price of the token is, it's going to be $100 worth of tokens. Mm. And then you can either buy those tokens for 100 bucks, or you can refer people until uh, to the network until you earn $100 worth of tokens, which we'd prefer you do the latter. But the, mm. the cash value of the Ranchers token, it doesn't, it doesn't influence how the network works. It just changes, you know, like how many tokens are flowing at any given transaction. So a firm like Goldman Sachs, like, do they think about the token? Like, No. No, we obfuscate it completely from them. I mean, we have, you know, 2,500 clients, you know, you have several hundred are, are very active and invoicing every single day. Those And those fees are batched together and then sent to a, a, a smart contract to convert to tokens. Like, all under the hood, all done on-chain. So, because you can't ask Nike to, like, go buy some tokens to pay your fees, you know, like. And in terms of the actual results, like are they hiring better, more people than through? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, here's the value prop to clients for Brain Trust, right? So someone will tell them, hey, go to Brain Trust. You've, they've got actually like the best tech talent there and they'll match really quickly. Cool, everyone says, says that, like, why, why are the best tech talent on Brain Trust? The answer is simple because they're, the economics are better, right? The brain trust takes zero percent fees from talent and a flat ten percent from clients. Staffing firms are marking up fifty to one hundred percent. Big consulting firms marking up the same fifty, hundred, maybe plus percent. Brain trust flat ten percent. So, so talent might be listed on different, several different marketplaces, but they're getting the most money, the best economics on brain trust. Oh, and if they're earning tokens. Then they're, they're, they're owners in the network where they make a living, right? And they've got governance control and they've got career benefits and all this other stuff that comes with earning the token. And so then they're like, oh, it's a, it's a talent-owned network. That's cool. Like, how do you do that? Well, they have this token called Brain Trust and it's on Ethereum. And then they're like, that, cool. I, I don't want to hear anymore. That's it, right? Like, curiosity over. Let's try it out. And, then, and, and that's how we've grown, you know, in two years to, you know, thousands of clients and a quarter million talent. Yeah. Just don't tell me about the crypto. Just don't, and don't make me install MetaMask. You know, like, look, I'm a tech guy. I, I love that. Like, I think it's cool, but like, we don't make people install that shit. Like, in, unless they want to pull tokens off the platform and, and do on-chain stuff, they're, they're free to. But we're still in a place where like most, most people, and certainly clients, like they can't be asked to do that themselves. So what are you most excited about over the next, you know, six months, let's call it? I'm, I'm excited for this industry to move past this awful stench we have, thanks to the Bahamian monster. I want him to go to prison for many decades. This whole, like, 2022 is a disaster um, of its own, of yeah. crypto's own making. Let's get past it. Let, Tell me. Let, let's start, like, let's shine a spotlight on the protocols and projects that are actually moving society and the economy forward. And and that that's what I'm excited about. And look. 23 is the year of AI, right? And it's like, AI has a year every four or five years. And then the wind Yeah, I feel like the last one was like 2015. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, yeah, that's right. It was like 15, 16. Yeah, it was like all the machine learning, the TensorFlow. And then, you know, the dust settles and we move on. And and so th this isn't crypto's year, but it's t time to take the trash out and, and, and let the regulators do their thing. But don't chase it offshore, right? Like, it has to be an American thing. Well, Adam Jackson, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Frank, I'm a huge fan, and uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Where can we learn more about what you're working on, what you're doing, about... Sure. Project? I, uh, 
I, tr I try to tweet things that are useful sometimes at Adam Jackson SF, and then uh, the projects at BrainTrust.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.